Trafficking is the second largest growing social justice issue in our time. It's surpassed the sell of guns, second only to drugs. So human trafficking has been reported in every single state. 87% of trafficked individuals are U.S. citizens. But there are so many different types of human trafficking. I think most of us, myself included, we grow up in a culture where we picture trafficking as these kidnapped kids and other countries being smuggled, all this stuff that's just crazy town, really, because less than 1% of trafficked people are kidnapped. Less than 1%, which means 99% of people are trafficked by somebody that they know and trust. So when we realize that there's actually 25 different types of human trafficking in America alone, that illicit massage parlor in your strip mall, that person that's working agriculture in your community that's there legally, but their employer, they're tied to that legal work visa. So that makes a really exploitive environment. Welcome to Super Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Shahid Durrani. Today we have with us Rebecca Bender. Rebecca is a social activist, thought leader, and consultant who equips professionals and organizations to identify and fight human trafficking. This is amazing. Thank you so much for coming on our show, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. I don't know if I should get into the actual story of what happened, but it actually adds a little curiosity if we don't and then let people go and research you. (laughs) Usually when I'm on a plane and people ask what I do, I say, oh, I fight human trafficking. And they're like, oh, are you former law enforcement? Like, no, criminal, former criminal. And then it's usually (laughs) pretty lengthy discussion. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how that turns out afterwards, but... Is good because it's very unique what you're doing. And a lot of people go through something like that, but they don't make it their life purpose. So I was very excited to meet you and talk to you about this because from what I can see, there's a lot of passion behind it. You are helping people. So I'm excited. Yeah, thank you. So when you moved into becoming a CEO and becoming a prominent advocate, What were some of the challenges that you faced going into this specific niche? Because it is sensitive for people. So transitioning into this world and making it a business, can you share some challenges and then how you overcame them? Maybe it could help someone in the entrepreneurial realm. Absolutely. I think all of us have a story of our why. All of us have a reason why we got into what we're doing, whether it's personal or something that helped change your life or inspire you. And my story is no different. As a survivor of human trafficking, I escaped nearly six years of trafficking. And I remember sitting in my government subsidized apartment with my Goodwill pots and pans and a mattress I got off Craigslist broke. And I just remember thinking, this is freedom. This is what everyone gets you so excited, run, escape, the rescue, all these things. And they Mm. forget about life after you've been excommunicated from the real world for so long. And trying to figure out just a sense of normalcy was really hard. And poverty is hard. And so I can remember sitting at my kitchen table, just shaking my fists (laughs) 
at God and saying, if this is freedom, this is BS. I don't want this either. And I just remember having this deep feeling like if I can give normalcy the same amount of time that I gave human trafficking, I can do better. I thought I can't clean up in 30 days what took six years to build in terms of my character, my habits, but I had a lot of transferable skills. And at that time, I decided I wanted to help other people. And if I could teach specifically at the time, if I could teach law enforcement, what we were being taught behind closed doors, how to look for them, how to evade them, how to launder money, would they want to know? So I took my life story and I created a training that had more calls to action that would equip law enforcement. And I just started sharing it anywhere where anyone would let me in. I joke, jokingly, this didn't actually happen, but I'm like, I can speak anywhere, old folks, home, high school, whatever you needed me to do, I throw it out there. Putting the idea out, just putting the dream out, seeing what sticks and what doesn't. And, and yeah. surprisingly, it caught fire. And now year to date, 15 years later, I've trained over 118,000 law enforcement officers, FBI, Homeland Security. I serve as an advisor to Congress on state laws that need to pass oh. in our nation. And I'm just really honored. But you don't know when you start out with your idea. You don't know what's going to hit. You don't know what people are going to resonate yeah. with and what they're not. I heard yeah. John Ashcroft, who's the former attorney general during 9-11, share that leaders during crisis do best by course correcting along the way. Your ability to course correct is what's going to create success. And that really resonated with me. So we took that kind of same concept and decided to start a nonprofit and use our equip program that would assist government professionals. And we just started course correcting and going from grassroots startup when you don't have any team and you're really managing all of the aspects of a business can be exhausting. And so I began over the first probably five years of my journey, just really figuring out what I was good at and what I should hire out for. And then trying to raise money to hire out the positions that I could probably get a C plus or B in that position, but I wanted someone that really loved it and got an A. And that was my first journey to just figure out how to get enough funding to bring on the players on the team that did their position really well. How do you grow team and how do you create culture? And these are things you don't learn when you're being trafficked. Again, jokingly say my trafficker didn't teach me how to run a board meeting. He didn't teach me how to cultivate group culture and celebrate wins with the staff. So there's just a whole learning curve of like, how do I get mentored and how do you do this thing? And it was a journey for sure. The first five years were really hard. It's like a path with quick decisions because every step you're making a decision. How are you course correcting, as you said? How do you find that next right move? Especially when yeah. you didn't know what was happening. You didn't know where you're going with this. Could you share some tips that could help someone in something similar that they may be launching or they're in a business that's running, but they want to take it to the next level, some kind of tip that can help them because of the experience that you gain in that journey. I would say right away, just start putting your idea out there. And I know sometimes we get protective with our ideas, but think about the next thing you need yeah. and start putting it out because yeah, whether it was just putting out, like, I want to share my story in a way that's going to create change and just started putting that out there and it spread. And then I would start putting out the mentoring thing where I realized, man, I don't really know what I'm doing. Do I read books, listen to podcasts, take a class? But I also started putting it out there during my presentations. I would say, you want me to share intimate parts of my life so that you can become a better professional. If there's anyone out here, though, that's willing to share intimate parts of their professional life so that I can become a better professional, 
And I would have people respond and reach out via email and say, you can come shadow me at my company for three days or come join a board meeting. Let me show you how to call one to order and take minutes. And I was really honored and inspired by people's generosity. When you just start putting your need out there and ask for reciprocation in a sense, then make sure to reciprocate. You got to hold your end of the bargain and take people up on their offer. And in the beginning, I just leaned a lot on friends and family. If I had a little bit of money, I'd hire part-time. I started getting more speaking engagements that I could keep up with. And so I would barter. I'd say, I'll give you a speaking engagement for 10 hours a week in my office because I didn't have any money, but I had a whole bunch of gigs. And just getting creative with what the resources you do have in the beginning, those would be my first things. Put it out there. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Really find spots in your company that you aren't great at. It's okay to be self-aware that I'm not the best bookkeeper. I'm a visionary. So how can I find someone that can do bookkeeping? How can I raise money and put some aside for positions I'm not good at? And then just get creative with the resources you have as you keep growing. Now, 15 years later, we have a substantial team. And that transition from grassroots to organized profession was different too. So all of it's been a journey of how to grow, how to scale, how to course correct, Mm -hmm. always on your toes. It's all entrepreneurs listening now. (laughs) Rebecca, it's really interesting what you said and it got my attention when you mentioned just go out there, just do it. Because such a simple thing, but it's so overlooked. A lot of people that have dreams, aspirations, they want to do something, don't even take that first step. And you took that first step, you took the next step, you took the next step, you took the next step, and here you are. Yeah. You just do the next best thing. Sometimes you might have an idea of your three to five year plan, but you just have to take that first next thing. And it even transitioned right now. Obviously, we run our nonprofit and we now equip professionals. We also have a school to assist survivors and their next step and their now what. But about two years ago, I started deciding I wanted to write TV. I wanted to produce content and entertainment world that would shape culture. And so again, I took a class on TV writing. I wrote a pilot and I just started putting my idea out there. I was in LA training some undercover cops and people would ask, I heard people don't ask in LA how you are. They ask what you're working on. So when someone would say, what are you doing here? I thought I could tell them I'm training undercover cops or I could say, Hey, I'm also working on a pilot. So I just started putting that out there. I'm working on a pilot. It's about my life story. It's what I've been through. And one meeting led to another meeting. I'm sitting at lunch at Soho with the producer of Aaron Brockovich. And she's, I'll sign an engagement deal with you. And we went and got a pilot made by Showtime. It was great. It took eight years. But you just got to start putting your idea out there and Mm. just doing that next best thing and pitching it. Mm. Being okay with Mm. a whole bunch of no's until you get a yeses. Until you get one yes. Mm. It only takes one yes. It's so true. I sense that you have a level of enthusiasm within. Do you feel that enthusiasm in your heart that I'm going to make it, I'm going to do this, I'm going after it? Did that have something to do with your success? I think more than anything, I've just had this feeling that I lived through really hard things and it can't be for nothing. Everything I went through can't be for nothing. So figuring out why did I live when others have died? Why? And is there purpose? And what can I make from my past that would create change and momentum in a way that makes me feel purposeful? Even if you have ideas that aren't hugely rooted in purpose, to me, creating legacy for my family, creating a change in the generations that have come before me to make sure my kids are different, my grandkids have a different life than I experienced or than my mom experienced, that's purpose. Breaking generational 
chains of whether it's poverty or substance abuse or mental health, like those are things that can be really purposeful. Even if it feels sometimes your job isn't, I don't help traffic them. And you're like, no, but creating change in your legacy is purpose. So I think finding the thing that gives you purpose and really reminding yourself of your why will help create passion. That's what I mean. Whatever kind of passion it was, it was some sort of passion you had within that you felt excited about, that you're making a change. Entrepreneur trying to launch something and he's passionate about that. Your purpose was different, but I'm just trying to figure out that feeling you had within when you were taking those steps. Can you speak about those feelings? How did you feel at that time? Yeah, I felt excited. I felt I finally figured out my thing that maybe could be mm. what I'm here for. And uh, that yeah. feels really good deep in your soul. I think I found the thing. Yeah. I think any entrepreneur yeah. knows when you're like, oh, I think this is the one or I think this is the yeah. idea. And again, it might yeah. take some tweaking and course correcting. It might not totally turn out how you originally envisioned it. But when you know you're onto something good, like you sense it. It's like that gut instinct. Yes. Of, I think this yeah. is the thing. And I tell you, yeah. nothing will give you passion more than living in poverty on a mattress from Craigslist. <laughs> That's something that gets you going, but it's that love that you get from that idea. I feel like I resonate with what you're saying based on this show. I feel like now this is it. This is what yeah. I found my purpose. So I know exactly what you mean. Can you share with me what you feel your innermost superpowers that got you to this point in life? I think the resilience to not give up. When I was being trafficked, I was the one in the home. There was four women and two children in the home I was being trafficked in. And I was the one who was uh, abused the most. And my trafficker used to say, this one has a spirit that won't be broken. I used to be really like insulted by that. I thought, why can't I just get it right? Why can't I just keep my mouth shut? Why can't I just obey the rules? And now I'm like, you're damn right. I have a spirit that won't be broken. So I think that's always been my superpower. Even when it was trying to be dimmed or minimized or taken from me, it was something that just always held on. So keeping that same personhood of who I am, of resilience and moving forward and not giving up and pushing through, that's what has kept me going all these years later. 15 years later, I'm still building a nonprofit, trying to break into an entertainment industry and find something new. As entrepreneurs, we always want the next project. We're always thinking of the next idea. Especially when even if you have that gut instinct of this is it, I think this is the thing. It's really hard to live through the disappointments when that vision also can change along the way. And it's okay. So like holding your idea with an open hand of this might not look totally how I expect and being okay with that, being okay with the turnout not being always how you originally envisioned. That's been something I've had to learn the hard way and grieve, grieve losses of, wow, that didn't work how I thought it was. I thought this was the idea, but it always turns out how it's supposed to. What's for you will find you. You just keep that passion and keep moving forward, doing the next best thing, being real self-aware. It'll find you. It'll find its way. Rebecca, can you speak about your academy? Can you share how does it work? Yeah. So as I was training law enforcement, we started having other survivors of trafficking reach out from all across the country and say, hey, how did you do that? Like, how did you take your story and turn it into a training? How did you get booked? What do you charge? How did you create a contract? They just had all these questions. And at the time I was finishing my master's degree online, so I still lived in this tiny farm town where I lived. The only universities were online. 
And again, I had this moment where I thought, if I can get a master's online, I could mentor online. So I looked at the technology my university was using. I went to research how much it would cost. It was free. So I just replicated what my school was doing. I wrote a 16-week curriculum, which is one semester on business and telling your story and contracts. And we launched Elevate Academy almost 10 years ago. It'll be 10 years next January. Originally, I just put it out on Facebook and we had five survivors of trafficking join for my first class. Now, year to date, we have 1,400 students spanning 600 U.S. cities, 19 countries, eight faculty. It's crazy. I never thought that one little moment would grow to what it is. And to see survivors, when I travel the country and I see them sitting on their local task force, I see them lobbying in their local state for change in laws. I see them on stages, on panels. It's just like, I'm getting teary-eyed. It's moving. It's holy crap. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know this would work. It's thriving beyond what I ever expected. So people want to learn more about Elevate Academy. They can just Google Elevate Academy. Website elevate-academy.org. You can sponsor a survivor to go through school. You can become a monthly partner. You can see all the different classes we offer. We have lots of volunteer opportunities. So yeah, those are the two programs. We equip professionals and we elevate survivors. That's so moving what you've created and what you're doing for these survivors. I honestly didn't even know it's so huge. It's so big. Do you have some stats you can share how big of a problem this is? Trafficking is the second largest growing social justice issue in our time. It's surpassed the sell of guns, second only to drugs. So human trafficking has been reported in every single state. 87% of trafficked individuals are U.S. citizens. But there are so many different types of human trafficking. I think most of us, myself included, we grow up in a culture where we picture trafficking as these kidnapped kids and other countries being smuggled, all this stuff that's just crazy town, really, because less than 1% of trafficked people are kidnapped. Less than 1%, which means 99% of people are trafficked by somebody that they know and trust. So when we realize that there's actually 25 different types of human trafficking in America alone, that illicit massage parlor in your strip mall, that person that's working agriculture in your community that's there legally, but their employer, they're tied to that legal work visa. So that makes a really exploitive environment. Or maybe the employer's holding back pay, familial trafficking, online escorting. People are being trafficked through that. Now with, obviously, everything's online nowadays. So you never know what's going on behind a camera if you're engaging in any kind of commercial sexual content. There's just so many ways that it happens nowadays. Gang trafficking is huge. Gangs have started selling drugs, people, guns. It's not just how it used to be. There's so many. There's cantinas. There's gang-controlled, pimp-controlled, familial, illicit massage. Those are usually our top four or five types of trafficking we see in most investigations. And those recruitment tactics and the ability to get people out, the recovery, are all very different based on the type of trafficking that individuals experiencing. So when you think of your own community, you know, you got to know it's taking place all around you. The person next to you could be being trafficked. Their kid could go to school with yours. They could be standing next to you in the grocery store line, at illicit massage parlor you drive by every day to go to work, whatever is in your community. So if we all close our eyes and picture the most marginalized persons in our communities, traffickers can see them too. If we can spot them, so can traffickers. And they're going to go target that individual's vulnerability and offer them a whole bunch of help but then get to know them and eventually they'll have quote unquote strings attached. 
that's when people realize they're in a situation that might be different than they were expecting. And it becomes really hard to get out because it yeah. becomes embarrassing to come forward. And now you feel indebted or like you owe them because they helped you with all these other things. It becomes this really complex situation that I think we only picture survivors included, these kidnap situations, when they're much more subtle and nuanced and they're much more gradual over time. Thank you, Rebecca, for sharing that because whenever you think of this, and for me as well, it's the same thing, just because of the movie influence, the media, what they show in the movies is quite extreme usually. So yeah. your mind just automatically goes to the extreme. But there's so many areas, and even to the audience, that there's so many areas in your community where you can help. There's so many opportunities where you can bring awareness to this. Yeah. There's so many ways to get involved. You don't always have to walk up to someone that you think might be being exploited and put yourself at risk or quite frankly, put them at yeah. risk because them talking to you yeah. could get them in trouble. Yeah. But there's so many ways. You can vote different in your state. You can get to know what human trafficking laws are needed in your community. There's still 11 states that arrest children for prostitution. We need Safe Harbor Acts passed in 11 states still. There's vacature laws where some states don't allow people who have been trafficked to have the crimes they committed during trafficking removed. But you can get to know your laws, get to know what bills are passing in your state, vote better. We can look at foster care. Again, the most marginalized communities are those that are being targeted. So volunteering in your local foster area, becoming a big brother, big sister, that's prevention. You want to stop someone from getting trafficked, go be a healthy adult to them, to those that are most at risk. Go serve LGBTQ community groups that are assisting underserved populations. Find out you can get involved in prevention efforts or look at your local human trafficking task force. Almost every community has one. Find out who the local nonprofit is that's doing this in your area. Get involved, volunteer, get a training and reshare facts, not the sensationalized stats because yeah. what happens is those spread like wildfire while the rest of us, we know what's really going on in our communities. So we need truth reshared so that people know what to look for in your neighborhood. So find out who those local groups mm. are and reshare their stuff on social media. Don't just share the mm. sensationalized things because not only does it help all of us with awareness, but what I tell people the most is as a survivor, I grew up watching the same movies as you. And when my situation didn't look like that, I didn't stop and ask for help along the way because I was being taught that it looked very different. We need to share the right thing so that those that are currently being groomed and not yet trafficked have the right red flags that they can reach out and ask for help for. Excellent, Rebecca. Thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on our show today and sharing all of this information. Hopefully it brought some awareness into the audience's world and see what's happening. A lot of people are not aware of. I really appreciate what you're doing with your time, especially going on podcasts like this, spreading your message is admirable. And thank you so much. Continue your work. I'm hoping that you grow internationally every corner on, because this is helping people. So I wish you all the best and all the growth. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing the message. My pleasure. Thank you.